Questions are a source of change. Conversations are a source of change. And you have to remember what you think and what you say and what you do influences your well-being and others. And over the years, that's the gift of appreciative inquiry is that anything you think, say, and do does matter. That's the voice of Dr. Jackie Stavros, reminding us all that what we think, say, and do does matter. Jackie has spent most of her professional life teaching people how to interact with others, how to ask the right questions, and how to have conversations that matter. These are conversations that move ourselves and our relationships in a positive direction towards having more of what we want. If that sounds interesting to you, then get ready for some important insights from my friend, Dr. Jackie Stavros. Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills that they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from Cutco's most prominent alumni and current leaders. On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Welcome, everyone. You're in for a real treat today. My guest is Dr. Jacqueline Stavros. Jackie sold Cutco for a summer in Michigan during college at Wayne State, and uh, she later got her MBA at Michigan State and then ultimately earned her doctorate in management at the Weatherhead School of Management at Case Western Reserve University. And she's currently a professor for the College of Business and IT at Lawrence Technological University near Detroit, Michigan. Uh, Jackie is recognized for her creation of the SOAR, S-O-A-R framework which is a positive approach to strategic change. And she has delivered hundreds of keynotes or workshops in over 30 countries to impact the lives of thousands of people in hundreds of different organizations. She's been featured in Forbes, Fast Company, and many leadership blogs. She has also written seven books, including her latest called Conversations Worth Having. And one of her big insights is how our conversations create our moments and influence the world that we live in. We'll talk about this and a whole lot of other good stuff today. Jackie, thanks so much for making time to share your insights with our audience today. Thanks. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for having me here. This is exciting. Yeah, I'm really excited to be able to share your story and insights with the uh, Cutco Vector world. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your background just leading up to when you first got started selling Cutco? So I remember when I was in high school and I was a senior, I wanted to go away to school like most of my friends were, and we didn't have the money, and I had gotten a full-ride scholarship to Wayne State University, so I got to commute with my brother and his five buddies to Wayne State University, which was in Detroit, 
And it was my sophomore year, and I was in a marketing class, and I remember this was 30 years ago with Professor Beecher, and I told him I really wanted to get a marketing job, and I really wanted to do branding and promotion. And he says, have I got the job for you? And it was, um, I don't know if it was called Vector back then, but it was Cutco. I didn't know what I was getting into. But what's interesting, it, it's only 10 minutes from where Lawrence Technological University is today, but... 30 years ago, it was a long drive to Royal Oak, Michigan, where um, they told me I was going to sell nice. I was, really, <laughs> I was really skeptical about this. and But I really trusted my, my professor at the time. I, I mean, I was 19 years old. And I remember walking into this, um, this place, and there was a couple that were my trainers. And they gave me such a um, warm welcome. They were very genuine people and they were so passionate about knives so I was so curious because they were so nice and you know I, I remember back then that um, they said believe in yourself because the product will sell itself believe in yourself and and they showed me this routine that I would go through and the product sold itself and it was it actually ended up being a lot of fun and it was probably one of the nicest summers, and I got invited to go to Chicago to some competition. So it ended up being probably one of the funnest things I've ever did. And what got me what I used to call my big girl job in the software industry was the president and CEO noticed Cutco Nice. Mm. And that's what got me into the door, into what started um, my career beyond selling knives. Wow. So when you went out interviewing after college, uh, having had Cutco on your resume, uh, was noticed by somebody who you were, you were being recruited by? Yes. Wow. That's cool. What did they, like, what did they say? So um, they asked me about my Cutco experience. And I remember telling them about product demonstrations, building leads, closing loops, communication, getting people to trust me you know, walking into somebody's home and walking out with like a $1,500 sale. Um, and they were just amazed about the sales process I went through. And I continued selling Cutco knives like for weddings and referrals. And so as I was starting my career, I was also selling um, Cutco knives because people would call me back and they'd have a wedding come up or a birthday come up or they wanted to buy more knives. So I actually sold knives for several years after the full summer of selling knives with Cutco. Oh, that's cool. So it turned into a little more than just a summer job, but continued to generate some income for you all throughout college. Well, I still got my original knife set from Cutco. <laughs> <laughs> that is cool. That is cool. You know, there's an amazing legacy of great Cutco people who started in Michigan around the time that you started. It's really an incredible list. And uh, at some point, I'd love to compare some notes with you about uh, some of the people who were there at that time and some of the things they're doing now. So you went to Wayne State, and then um, you took a couple years off, and you went for your MBA to Michigan State, and then were in the workplace for a while, ultimately went to Case for your doctorate. When you got to Case, you were influenced very largely by uh, David Cooper writer. 
And I would love to hear more about this because, you know, I have met David a few times now and knowing what I know about him, I feel like this is a guy that really is changing the world in so many ways. Sort of the father of a concept called appreciative inquiry, which is a big part of what you teach and train. Uh, What can you tell us about the influence of David in your life? Well, um, because of David and also his, his mentor, Ron Fry, I quit my first job in my career. And that was because my CEO gave me a blessing to go back to school in the time. And I was learning about appreciative inquiry, which at the time in 1995, it was a qualitative research technique. And two things were said. David Cooperwriter said to me that there is no such thing as a neutral question. And what he meant by that is if I asked you, tell me, Dan, how communication is, I don't know if you're going to go positive. I don't go, know if you're going to go negative, but we'll wait and see. He encouraged us to ask questions, to find solutions, and to ask a question. So, Dan, tell me about a time when communication was working really well in this organization or any organization. And then you would get that story. Mm-hmm. And I would say, what would be your image of exceptional communication continuous? What would this organization look like? And that would begin moving us from what is or was a good example of communication to what could possibly be. So he was teaching me the power of a question. And that same semester, I also had Ron Fry who told me, leadership is not about control. Leadership in life is about influence. So both of them coming at me with this thing called appreciative inquiry. And I really learned that questions are a source of change. Conversations are a source of change. And you have to remember what you think and what you say and what you do influences your well-being and others. And and over the years, that's probably the, the gift of appreciative inquiry is that anything you think, say, and do does matter. Yeah. You just said there what you think, say, and do influences the well-being of yourself and others. That is a really insightful and important part of, of what I know you do and what you teach. Can you unpack that a little bit more for me? My passion was strategy, strategic development. And I thought, you know, I'm learning about this thing called appreciative inquiry, looking for the best of what is and what it was and what's possible and looking at the whole system. And I thought, I wonder if I could take appreciative inquiry as an operating system and look at strategy. But what came out of that was to articulate it into a simple framework, which I call SOAR, is having a way to think strategically, to plan and lead that leverages strengths and opportunities and aspirations and results. Can you tell us a little bit more about the uh, the concept of SOAR? So SOAR was originally designed as a way to have a strategic conversation that, you know, we need a game plan or a strategy to launch a new product, or we need a strategy to get something funded. So it started out that we would start looking at strengths. What are we great at? And then opportunities, what are the possibilities? And then start to think about, okay, so what do we care deeply about? And what are the aspirations of our stakeholders? So that's the A. And at the end of the day, you need measurable results. So SOAR is a way to bring stakeholders into a conversation to create a strategy, to create a strategic plan, 
And that's simply how it began to unfold. And then you can fast forward um, the first 10 years. You know, I, I worked with um, organizations like Dell, um, HP, Procter & Gamble, even recently with the sales team with the Marriott and Sheraton coming together is bringing people together to figure strategy out. And it begins with exploring what are the current strengths of the organization? What are the things we are doing well right now or that we have done well in the past to achieve success? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, how about if I give you an example, probably one of my toughest strategy clients. Sure. That'd be great. Um, so one, one time I had an organization contact me because they were going to, sh- they asked me to use SOAR to come up with a strategy on how to close the plant down in three years. And I was, I was intrigued by it because as I was driving over there, and I even remember it was the 4th of July when I was driving to this plant, I thought I'm going to get in a room with about 120 people and come up with a way to shut the plant down in three years. <laughs> when I got there Monday morning, we had this conversation that we all know we're in here in three years to shut this plant down, which can impact the city. And I said, well, what if we created an innovation? Here's an opportunity of, an, of a revitalization list. What if we came up with the strengths of the plant, came up with a plan for 18 months to revitalize the plant? And if we couldn't, we would agree to lose our jobs in the 18 months we had left because we couldn't do it. And they had to take a break to think about it. There was a lot of pushback, but they came back and that afternoon, we fueled the conversation with strengths. We created this innovation called a revitalization list. They came up with the initiatives for the plant that would put it back on track. And they also put together a plan that within 15 months of implementation of this plan, they would begin to shut down the plant if they couldn't achieve these measurable results. 12 years later, the plant has never shut down. Wow. So you were tasked with with helping figure out how to bring this plant to closure in a way that was positive and that would work. And instead, as the people put their all got together to figure out how, you know, what would be the way forward, the idea of revitalizing the plant came up and people were able to actually implement those ideas to the point where the plant was succeeding enough that it stayed open and and has continued to stay open. It is. It's never shut down. And, wow. I, and I believe it's because we started from a place of strength, even though we knew that the end result was how would we shut the plant down? But we started having possibility conversations and what if, and we gave the holding company a plan, a plan to shut down the plant, the revitalization list, the revitalization attempt didn't work. Right. It's like a win-win on both end. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Well, I'd really like to get into some of the specific practices that people can be implementing. And in particular, I want to talk about your book, Conversations Worth Having. I can remember being in Cleveland and hearing you describe the forthcoming book uh, when it was still not, you know, completely, you know, completely developed. And I just thought, I got to, I got to read this. I want to read this now. And I remember asking you, I want to read this now. And you handed me your manuscript, which was like, you know, 200 pages with a clip on it and said, here you go. And I took that on the airplane home and began uh, inhaling 
all the concepts in the book. And I really like the book. I liked it so much that I bought a bunch of copies for all my organization and gave it out. And, uh, and I would love to hear just some of your, the key elements of conversations worth having. In particular, you talk about the two simple practices that are important in our conversations. And maybe you could start with that. And then we could talk some more about, uh, about the book and some of the concepts. The two practices that we've learned with my co-author Sherry Torres and I through multiple conversations that we had is the practice of what we call positive framing. And the second practice is generative questions. Whether you start with positive framing or generative questions, it doesn't matter, but you have to learn to do both. The, um, the practices kind of cross over each other. So to give you an example, if you and I can be intentional that um, we're going to have a conversation about a problem. The problem is, and this is, we start with the first story in this book, was um, the ER room had poor performance and, and low stats, bad stats. So when you're trying to frame something, we call this the flip. You, what you would flip, the flip is sometimes obvious, that the obvious thing is we want good performance. We don't want to talk about low performance because if you and I have a conversation of everything that caused the low performance, all we really get good at is understanding all the things that cause low performance. Right. And if we flip the conversation and we have a conversation about what allows for great performance, what you really want to talk about is if we had great performance, what would this place look like? And in the case of the emergency room, it would look like patients going to the right place at the right time, the quality of care. If we have great performance, we have high morale on our team. If we have great performance, we have people showing up and loving working here. So when you inquire into these phenomenons, we call them, then you can build a strategy for great healthcare place and then your stats are going to go up that you're measuring. So part of knowing the flip is to be able to frame what it is that is the outcome of what you really want to happen. And then the other, the second practice is called a generative question. Questions are really key. And that goes back to what I said earlier. A positive question, you can't always ask someone a positive question because when I've dealt with um, the plant closure, I've worked with some suicide organizations, there's no positive question. Nothing's going on great. Mm-hmm. Um, but a generative question is a question that deepens understanding, builds a relationship between you and me, shows that I'm curious, and shows that I want to help figure a pathway forward. And generative conversations take you to an open place where you can become more innovative and talk about what you wish to happen, what you would like more of. So the power of a generative question is really important. If this was natural, you and I wouldn't be talking about it and I wouldn't have to write a book about it. So a generative question is really important that it opens up the front part, they call it the executive part of the brain, and that you and I are able to connect and think of ideas and innovations and think about it. The source of any change, good or bad in your life happens through the conversations you have in your head with yourself or the conversations you have with other people. Mm -hmm. So when I think about, to go back to the first concept, when I think about positive framing, I just think about the images that we put into our own heads 
with the things that we say. Um, so uh, an example I can give you was I was at a local swimming pool and my kids were both having swimming lessons and one uh, little girl went running on the pool deck, you know, toward the end of the, the pool and simultaneously, seemingly like 10 of the instructors that were in the water all yell, Don't. walk, no, 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 no. This time they, they did it right, Jackie. They go, walk, 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 walk. Right. They all, they all yelled, walk, 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 walk. And of course the girl immediately starts walking. Right. And I, I remember I went up to a couple of the, um, the instructors later on and I said, um, have you guys been trained about like pot, the positive imagery of what you did when you were yelling, walk, 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 walk. And they're like, no, no, it's just, just, that's what, that's what we all say here. And, and I'm like, somebody must have taught them something because almost everybody would, you know, most places you'll, you'll hear people say no running no running. Right. And when you say no running, when you say no running, you're putting an image of running in someone's head and it is not received as well, right. As saying, Hey, walk, 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 walk. And also no running is restrictive and nobody wants to be restricted or stopped. Right. They fight that. Right. Whereas I feel like walk, 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 walk is something that's aspirational. It's like, it's like giving somebody a goal. Oh, I can do that. Right. And, um, and just this whole idea of like the words that we choose to create images is such a critical element, I feel like, of successful communication. Can you offer any other examples or insights yeah. on, on that whole idea of positive framing? Yeah. So when you, when you use the example of the lifeguard, I used to be a lifeguard in high school and they taught us don't run on the deck, don't dive in the shallow end. And all the brain hears is run and dive. Right. So you are absolutely right. Um, times have changed since when I was a lifeguard. And so those are really smart lifeguards that are saying, walk on the deck. And let's take it to the workplace. If you hand me a report and I look at it and think, Dan, this is all wrong. You didn't use the proper spacing. You didn't add page numbers. I say all the things you do wrong. You begin to shut down because I've told you everything you've done wrong. And you go into this protect mode. But if I, if you hand me a report and I think, well, this isn't what I asked for, but I start to say, you know, we've got about 20 minutes here. Can we rework this report and fix these things and do these three things to make it what I need? What begins to happen is you, you actually are like, yeah, I can do this. And you know what to do. And then you start moving in a direction and you want to help me create a very good report that we would be proud to hand over. So it's, it's having, you have to think about what do I really want to happen? How do I help Dan understand this and move forward? Right. So learning to focus on what we want to have happen versus what we don't want to have happen and flipping those conversations, flipping those comments, flipping the teaching that we're providing for people, the way that we're working with our teams and our children and whoever else we're influencing to create that positive imagery. That's one of the big keys to conversations worth having, right? Yeah. And there's a lot of science about this in sports and in medicine is the positive image, the positive action. Mm-hmm. It's so important. And it's so important for your well-being, which impacts my well-being, which actually impacts the overall health of the organization. Yeah, for sure. And then when you talk about generative questions, 
I know I wrote down some notes in studying this concept from you and just stop me if you feel like you want to, you want to take off with any of these, but I wrote down that there's sort of six types of generative questions. So there's purpose questions, which center around why is something important to us? Why is something that we're trying to do important to us? Why is it important for us to learn this skill? Why is it important for us to have this event that we're having right now? Why is it important for us to implement this change that we want to implement? And uh, getting to sort of the core purpose is, is the first type of question. And, and then there's high point questions, which are studying past moments of success, right? And anchoring in those stories of past success, which really activates our sort of right brain creativity when we anchor in stories of past success. You also talk about continuity questions, which are uncovering, you know, what people consider to be the best of what already exists uh, in an organization, in a team, right? As we develop these new innovations, as we head in this new direction, what are some of the things we've always been doing that we want to make sure remain constant in this organization or on this team? Uh, there's better image questions, which are things like a year from now, what would it look like if we have this, right? And that, that's getting people to see that future image of what we want to be. How might we questions, mm -hmm. right? Which are, uh, you know, basically exactly what it's described, what, what, what the name is, right? How might we be able to implement, you know, this or that, or how might we be able to help each other accomplish this? And uh, the question, how might we, I think gets people to be really gets people to be really creative about finding answers or solutions because might indicates possibility, right? Yep. And then, uh, and then the last one is action commitments, right? Which is like, what are we going to do? Right. And taking all of this creativity and innovation for ideas and putting it down into what are we actually going to do now? What are the next steps that we're going to take to move in this direction? Does that summarize the forms of generative questions pretty well? Yeah. And I'm going to give you my favorite one. And so you, you got it, the core, you call them, I call them the classic AI questions, appreciative inquiry. One of my favorite ones is the wish question. The wish and question. And it's kind of magical, but that I, I might ask you at the end, I'd say, so tell me, Dan, what are your wishes for how we can create this great team and this great organization? The reason the wish question is really important is if you've connected with the person, people will typically give you four types of wishes. And the first one is a wish that they have a wish that they don't know already exists in the organization. And you can almost grant that wish immediately by saying, have you heard about this policy or this benefit? So sometimes a wish is they didn't know. Hmm. Um, the second type of wish is they give you a wish that is such a great idea that you wished you would have thought about it, but they thought about it. And that's a wish that is a win-win for all. The third type of wish they will typically give you is a wish about something that you might know is coming down the pipeline, but you haven't announced it to your team yet. And you might ask yourself, why are we not telling our employees or our team about something that's going to be coming out? Why are we holding it back? Can we tell them now? So those are um, three types of wishes that are easy to grant. Mm -hmm. The fourth type of wish is they're going to wish something that you cannot give them. <laughs> but just having the conversation and understanding deeper their wishes, that you might find out what, how is it that you can help them, even though you can't make this wish come 
come true. So I always think the wish question is a real powerful question to ask at the end. Yeah, that's a great one for sure. I like that. How else can people implement the concepts of conversations worth having in their everyday life? I think it takes practice is the first is the first thing and to to kind of commit it's almost like a habit it's a, and if you could do this for you know they say 21 days or 28 days to a great habit is how can i commit to kind of stepping back if i if i start with framing and what do i really want to talk about take the employee who's always late for work for your team meetings how can you talk to the person that's late for the team meeting to try to understand You know, you have these meetings on Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. and Jackie's always late. And then if you have a conversation with Jackie, you know, and she starts to say, you know, I can come any other morning of the week but 8. This is why Wednesdays are a challenge for me. Or could we start later? And then you begin to realize, you know, maybe I should have asked the team when's the best time for all of us to meet. That's Mm -hmm. why it's so important to, to kind of step back and be able to frame and to ask these generative questions. On our website, Conversations Worth Having Today, we put together a toolkit because this is new for people, but positive framing and generative questions, we have a list of these types of questions because it's so important. Your your biggest return on investment will be with people, with your family, with your colleagues, and you become the most I would say smartest person in the room, not because you have the answers, but you know how to ask questions that bring in the whole system, that bring in possibilities. And it's just simply, it's just simply a practice. I mean, we live and breathe by our conversations. Yeah. You have a compelling example in the book about a conversation or just a way of viewing something that went on between you, your daughter and your husband. Can you share that here? So, um, Imagine I've been studying this for, I want to say, about 15 years in my life. And my husband was diagnosed with stage 4 cancer. So immediately, stage 4, deficit spiral, he's going to die. There's no cure for stage 4. And I remember having this conversation in my head and the doctor being there, Dr. Um, Dr. T. And we started talking about, tell me more about what stage 4 means for lymphoma. And she says, well, there's actually some cures for stage four lymphoma, but it's only a 50-50. And I remember going through exactly what I was doing. It's just kind of, I took a deep breath, I paused, I reflected and began to ask questions of what was possible. And that night when I drove home thinking I've got, I had to have the dreaded conversation with my, my, my two young children, the first thing that comes out of my 12 year old daughter's mouth was is dad going to die and my reaction was i wanted to say no Allie, everything is going to be fine i mean that's what we want to do with our children and and i, I struggled i said ellie we're all going to die and that wasn't the answer she wanted to hear but that was <laughs> the truth and so sometimes you have to struggle it's okay to struggle i didn't lie i could never promise her her dad was going to was going to live but I began again to frame the conversation and ask generative questions about how we were going to get through this this ordeal together with no promise that anybody was going to live or die Mm -hmm. and so the hardest time to practice conversations worth having these practices appreciative inquiry is with your own family and your own employees right right 
you know, and my husband is fine. He's been in remission for five, for five years. But in the book, we talk about that story that, you know, you just can't get into. So tell me about a peak experience. You have to be able to generativity is meet somebody where they're at and then begin that conversation of what do we really want to talk about here? What, what should we really have a conversation about? Right. And, and being able to understand positive framing and understand what types of questions to talk about um, helped your daughter to really be able to cope with this situation and the moment um, to where, you know, she was able to develop a positive focus about it. And it, uh, it certainly helped her to, to, uh, li- you know, right. live through that, that challenging time that, that uh, you all were experiencing. Something I don't talk about in the book is um, when I brought my husband home from the hospital and he got really sick again and I had to take him back to the hospital. So Allie's 12 and Adam's 10 and, and Adam in the back of my mind, I remember this conversation and I was going out the doorway to take, go back and Adam says to Allie, is dad going to be okay? He doesn't look good. Is he going to die? And Allie turned to him. She was talking, she said, Adam, we're all going to die. <laughs> um, and she says, but this is what we should really be talking about right now. And I thought, you know, it works. It even works with young, our youth, our young children. And that's going to be your best return on investment is with your, your children and your grandchildren and your family. Yeah. I've run across people who feel like the idea of having a positive focus, which is something I talk about a lot, which really relates to what you've shared here. I've run into people who feel like it's like a Pollyanna concept. It's, you know, it's unrealistic. And I just feel like saying like, it's the only way to live. It's like, why would you not want to live in that state? Why would you allow yourself to live in a negative state? I do feel like we attract into our life a lot of circumstances and that living in a negative state can only have a negative effect and that living in a positive state at least allows us the possibility of being able to experience and harvest, uh, you know, positive opportunities that can come our way. So it just is a better way to live, I feel like, and you eloquently describe it in your book uh, in ways that I think are really awesome. Thank you. And, and it's, you know, that's why we, we didn't call it positive framing and positive questions. It's really generative questions that can generate meeting, can generate visual in a way forward when you're stuck. Mm-hmm. Moving from like, how do I move from stuck to unstuck? And if you get really good at asking generative questions, the flip, the positive frame happens automatically. And sometimes you have to step back. Um, we call it the do-over conversation. Or sometimes you have to look back and think about a situation. And what do you really want to have a conversation about? And that's why the flip is negative to positive are easy for people to understand. Low performance, high performance. But we don't really want to talk about high performance. We really want to have a conversation that if we have high performance, what does this department look like? And that's where we want to do the inquiry about. Mm -hmm. So there's obviously a lot of applications to business and to strategic planning in business, but I feel like the personal applications are what's most relevant to, you know, every single person who's listening to this. And and a, a, a common challenge people would experience would be something like a relationship challenge. And if somebody's having a relationship challenge and they want to have a conversation about it, your suggestion would be that we, you know, you don't open with, you know, Hey, our relationship has been sucking for the last six months or one year, right? Blah, 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 and go down that road. But instead to talk about at the height of our relationship, this is what was going well, right? This is what I was really enjoying. This is what 
was most meaningful to me? What was most meaningful to you? And finding out, you know, where somebody felt the best, the most fulfilled, the most excited, you know, or even starting with the purpose, you know, why is it important for us to make sure that we, you know, get through this? And then finding out what were some of the strengths, what were the good things that were happening, and then being able to kind of spin around to, you know, if we begin to work on this over the next six months, one year, right, what could things look like for us in a year if we could actually make some strides and move back towards what we once had, something like that. Is that summarize sort of what you might suggest somebody to have? Yeah, you can even throw in the wish question, you know, that what are some wishes that you have so that we have a very thriving relationship? And then that person should Mm. ask you what the wishes are. So it's really important that you can start with a generative question, which automatically does the flip and frames it. Or sometimes you can think about the situation you're in and do the flip and frame it and then start asking some generative questions. It, that's really, it's, it's two simple but powerful practices that take practice to learn these, but it changes. You know, there's a book called Change Your Questions, Change Your Life. It's change your questions will impact your conversations. And, and you know, people are just thriving and flourishing and creating well-being in very healthy communities and families and organizations. Yeah, it just makes so much sense to learn how to do that and to to, to apply that in, in in all aspects of life. Really good stuff, Jackie. Thanks. You know, so this podcast is called Changing Lives, Selling Knives. And as you look ahead in your career and your life, how do you aspire to change people's lives through your work or through your influence? I really think my mission is now to teach people to have conversations worth having. And I'm asking you to spend about 80% of your life here. You're still going to have critical conversations and you're going to have just superficial conversations. That's okay because you're, you're human. But imagine if you could change the tone and direction of your conversations. People are going to move in a direction and create environments that work for all. And that's why we chose Barrett Kohler Publisher for our, the book Conversations Worth Having is that you know you want to create environments that work for all and you can frame these conversations by starting from a good place of strengths possibilities and you know that's what i want to do is to just if we could teach this i think we would have stronger communities stronger families stronger organizations stronger societies out there yeah and i know that uh our friend, Mr. Cooper Ryder, has you know leveraged these principles to work with the United Nations and uh, numerous other world organizations to help to bring these concepts uh, to you know a more having a more global impact. And so I do feel like global impact starts with you and starts with me and starts with everybody listening to this uh, one by one. We can change the world in many positive ways and. Uh, learning to have conversations worth having is one of the key ways to be able to do that. So Jackie, I really appreciate your time and your insights here today with the audience. I feel like this has been really good and uh, just really value you uh, taking time out of your busy schedule to be able to uh, participate and impact our organization. Thanks. Thank you, Dan. And just thank you for doing this. I mean, you kind of embody appreciative inquiry in your DNA. You can see it in the smile, the way you talk, the way, and so it just you can be make it a part of who you are and it really begins to influence everybody around you. Outstanding. Well, thanks so much. Thank you. 
was Dr. Jackie Stavros. Pretty cool to hear that a, it was a professor at her university that recommended her to sell Cutco and uh, some of the experiences and lessons that she shared and the fact that it opened doors for her in the software industry after she graduated from college. Of course, uh, at Case Western Reserve University, she met David Cooper Ryder. The power of questions was what she learned from Mr. Cooper Ryder. And just the concept that the things that we think, the things that we say, the things that we do influence our well-being and influence the well-being of others also. And learning how to reshape our thoughts and focusing on strengths and focusing on opportunities, aspirations, results that we want to achieve, the SOAR framework, really good stuff. Uh, Jackie has a book called The Thin Book of SOAR that you can tap into. And then, of course, uh, her signature work is Conversations Worth Having. If you're a vector manager, you've received that probably. I know it was given out at our SLC conference in 2018. I've also passed it out throughout the Western region. Uh, the positive, the, the simple practices of conversations worth having positive framing and generative questions. You might review some of the material on that from uh, what I shared here and what Jackie shared here. You can check that out in the book. You can also go to conversationsworthhavingtoday.com to be able to learn how to implement some of these concepts in everyday life. And, you know, if any of the stuff seemed like it was a little overwhelming as you were listening, what I really want to convey is that as this way of thinking and talking and being becomes innate and becomes internalized as a part of you, it becomes very simple to apply and very automatic to apply in many areas of your life. So I would really encourage you to dig into the, some of the concepts that Jackie shared today. And I hope that you all have a fantastic rest of your day and week. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode of Changing Lives, Selling Knives, hit the subscribe button so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. And if you want access to today's show notes, including links to any resources mentioned, visit changinglivespodcast.com. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. I'll catch you back here in a few days for our next story about changing lives.